Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Carol Railton at her home on Mortimer Road, Hackney. Recorded by Henry Law on the 12th of October, 2021. Interviewed by Tim Warren. Edited by Henry Law. Hi, Carol. So... Hi, Tim. What's your name? What's your full name? <laughs> My full name is Carol Ann Railton. So we are now in Islington, but you're not from Islington. No, this is Hackney. So where are you from? London. I was born in Kensington. Can you remember the dress your mum and dad lived at when you were...? Oh, yeah, but they were only... Ten- Palace Garden Terrace, it's that which is one of the most expensive streets in London, if not the most. It's got guards on either end. But my parents were just living in two rooms. So are your mum and dad from Kensington? No, um, my mother was born in India because her father was in the army, but they were from Cumbria, but she had green eyes, black hair, porcelain skin, so I think there was some Irish heritage there. And my father, well... Uh, he is half French. I don't know much about his family at all. So you don't know of any other got brothers or sisters that you know of or about still or gone or...? Well, <laughs> but basically I was brought up with another sister who was younger than me. But on my mother's deathbed, and I was 23 at the time, and she'd just turned 50. In fact, it was um, New Year's Eve. Yeah. She told me that my father had another daughter... So I'd been lied to my whole life. So when you were 23, did you? You said you got brought up with another sister. So is you and a sister that you knew of? And this is another sister. So you and your sister were brought up together. Yeah, and she was already in Canada by then, living. So she didn't know anything about it at all. She didn't come back to see my mother while she was dying or anything. That that sister that I grew up with. But that conversation um, made me vow to myself that I'd never be lied to again. And I started studying body language and looking at people and that sort of thing. So when your mum died at 50, was your dad still alive? Yes, he was. So what yeah. did he say to all that then? Or did you...? Well, I did, I did speak to him. And... Sternly. <laughs> Very. And um, he, he just sort of shrugged his shoulder, he didn't think it was anything. And I guess I'm more sensitive and I thought, how could he do that to a, yeah. a, a child, you know? So you, he... did you feel your mum was offloading, she wanted to tell you? She obviously felt the need oh, to yeah. tell you? The, yeah, deathbed. She died on New Year's Eve, yeah. yeah. She was nutter, my mother. She was scared of hospitals. She was born in India. She was apparently a um, prem baby and they wrapped yeah. her in cotton wool and put her under a tree. So she hated hospitals. Oh, no, yeah. It's funny, isn't it? Yeah. Hospitals and tomatoes. Oh, yeah, oh, yeah. It's a common combination. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what, was she afraid of tomatoes? She, yeah, she was. <laughs> she fruit. And I asked her about that. I mean, I didn't ask about many things, really, when I think about it, which is probably why I'm quite inquisitive now. She, um, she ate a tomato when she thought it was an apple. Oh, yeah, that was And weird. she couldn't bear it after that. So she didn't have an allergy? You didn't make no, a no, flour, but no. she just didn't like them, yeah. Yeah, no, she was, she was a sensitive bunny. She used to drive my father mad. She used to take all the stray animals, 
stray children into our house, you know, and look after them. Yeah. She, and my dad used to come home and kick the sofa. Yeah. Just, is there another cat? Is there another dog? <laughs> and I broke my arm when I was a child because we had all these stick insects and silkworms on yeah. trays yeah. and how my eyes worked. It's slightly different to everybody else's. And I can see ahead, but not necessarily right up close. Yeah. Um, and so the, the trays were on the step and I knew they were there. So I had to stop to look down rather than have a full vision of everything. And there were the trays of the insects. And I fell down the step because I'd walked. I'd already gone over them, yeah. you know, and broke my arm. <laughs> and, and my dad just walked away. I mean, he was just so insensitive, really. It's so think. weird, isn't it? Yeah. yeah. So he didn't help you up or...? No, no. On my wedding day, he said, your dad worked you down the aisle and everything. Yeah. Everybody's gone to the church, right? My old music teacher at school was playing the organ. And my dad made me sweep the kitchen floor in my wedding dress. Really? Yeah. Well, before you left to go to get yeah. married? It's yeah. like Cinderella. It's yeah. terrible. And, I mean, it was really horrible. And I, it was terrible. You sweep the floor for you into your wedding day. So in, in, my your, wedding... in your wedding dress is yeah, particularly yeah. sort of... Assertive. Mental. Yeah. yeah. So, in the hierarchy, have you got an older sister or a younger sister? I've got a younger sister and this other one who I never met, who's actually dead, um, was older than me, 10 years older. OK, so the, the unknown sister came before either you or your sister? So yes, you, yes. So, OK. Yeah. So yeah. were your mum and dad together then, do you know? Yeah, they were, but he was having an affair with a woman who he subsequently married, um, and he'd married the woman that he had the first daughter with. Oh, OK. And he was married when he met my mother. I got a bit of the story from my mother. She said that... Very strange thing, but you must remember she was on her deathbed. Yeah. She said she wanted to bring up this other child. You know, she wanted to tell us, but she felt duty-bound to, to her husband. Yeah. yeah. So your, what did your other sister think then, your younger sister? Well, she lived in Canada. I was quite angry with her because she wouldn't come and see my mother. Did they get on with you generally? Well, she got on with my father because she also sort of buried her head in the sand, whereas my mother was more open, more communicative, yeah. you know, and I got on with my mum, really. Yeah. So it was a, a great difference. And, yeah. yeah. As far as I know, my um, younger sister is alive, but I don't have any communication with her. She may be dead. I don't know. OK, so, when, okay, so back to the Kensington. Your, is your younger sister born in Kensington as well? Did no, you she was on? born in Harrow. So what did your dad do? For, who, is your dad the main breadwinner or your mum and dad? Or? Yeah, no, my dad. My dad, he was a linguist. Um, he spoke 14 languages. And that's how he met my mum. He was teaching her Arabic. Oh, OK. And they, she so was telephonist. So your mum learn... Uh, OK. They, they were in the war. They, oh, they were in the army. OK. And, in fact, my mother... I, again, I don't know if this is true, and I've no interest in finding out, actually. She told me that she forged her passport because she was too young to go. And okay. she I wasn't think probably a lot home. of people did that. Well, yeah, and it's a bit of escapism, <laughs> is it, mainly? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So your dad sounds like a bit of a... Not secretive man, but a man who's... Yeah. He looked like... Um, James Bond, what's the Scottish guy called? Um, Sean Connery. Yeah. Okay. So when. So sharp suit, neat and tidy. Yeah. Sharp tongue, good wits. Yeah. And also, all my friends, they, they used to come to my house to do homework and things like that. And I thought they all liked me, but they all fancied my You're dad. <laughs> I never found out till I, you know, was about 20 or something. <laughs> Is your dad still about? 
Is, was he a linguist all his life then? Well, he worked for the post office, or the GPO, as it was called then. I think he's, he started as a telephonist or something. I'm not sure what he yeah. did, really. I prefer to call him a spy. You know, spy, yeah. my sounds quite spy-like, yeah. ...had said he was a spy, and yeah. I was quite excited by that. Yeah. And, yeah. and also, the other thing was we... Most of the people in that area didn't talk like us. They, they had more of a Cockney accent. Yeah. And so I was in trouble for that, and so I had to play it up rather yeah. than play it down. Yeah. So that's what happened. So your mum stayed at home and looked after you, mucked you out, dropped you off, picked you up from school? She didn't... No, no, she never did any of that. She worked as a dinner lady at the school, you know, did playground duty yeah. at yeah. lunchtime. Oh, she never picked us up from school. So was she doing that at the school you were at? Yeah. So Which was, was also hard. So I was talking say, yeah. better than your mum's over there. Yeah, Shut yeah, up. Yeah. So it was it was quite a harsh upbringing, really. Yeah. Mm. So you're at junior school and then all in Harrow, secondary yeah. school in Harrow. Yeah. So you still keep in contact with anybody, school friend wise, or not? Well, the person I know the most is a girl called Sheila, and she used to live opposite us, and her parents used to take me on holiday with them because I couldn't really get on with my father, or you could say he couldn't get on with me. It depends. <laughs> Who's talking? So I was already ostracised from the family. And the other problem, which I didn't find out until my, on my mother's deathbed, was I look, I look exactly like my father. You know, he's tall, dark, yeah. uh, dark heights, everything like that. And I said already, my mother's got green eyes. So I didn't know that and, until... I was 23, that I'd got another sister and that she looked just like me, only 10 years older. So that was another reason why he couldn't accept me. But it was, it was fantastic for me to find that out. Most people yeah. think I, was in, I would have been in shock and screaming and everything, but I actually felt relieved yeah. to know why he'd been so harsh on me yeah. and so kind to my sister, my little sister, yeah. So when you did find out and he knew you'd found out... You yeah. talked to him sterling, he just shrugged it off and... Yeah, just... He's, did he didn't treat you any differently afterwards? No, not really, no. I mean, I knew he was having an affair with this woman at work and he subsequently married her, but I was a, abroad then, so I didn't... I wasn't involved at all, really. Oh, so you got married again? Yeah, third that time. third time, yeah. Oh, OK. So yeah. no more children? No. That you know of? No. <laughs> I know of. He's dead now, so who knows? Okay, so yeah. when you were going on holiday with your friend Sheila, yeah, where did you go on holiday? Oh, it was <laughs> very traditional. That yeah. we used to go to caravan parks and things like that. It's exciting when you were a kid, though. Her father was a, a bus driver and a bit of a comedian, and he used to take the mick out of me because I was well, I've been this height, and I'm quite tall, as you know, five foot eight since I was 11. So I thought I was going to be a giant, and my dad was, you know, taller than me. So Sheila is quite small, her mother was quite small. My mother was quite small, could lift her up, you know, when I was 10. So there was that as well. There was my size and yeah. being scared of being a giant. I think now I might have been observed by social services because my father was quite heavy-handed. How was he? That's with you? Far, with me, but not with my sister, not with my mother. It's weird how he picked you out of the three. Well, because I remind him of the first daughter, the guilt. Yeah. It all made sense. Did he have any contact with the daughter, though? No. You don't know? Which no. I thought was horrible. Yeah, I, I really thought it was horrible. And still do. So you went to secondary school with Sheila? No, she went to grammar school. I went to secondary school. Yeah. I didn't pass my 11 plus. Um, I didn't either, so don't worry. 
Well, <laughs> teamwork. <laughs> I, I didn't find out until I was 45 that I was dyslexic. I remember you saying this. Yeah, um, and so I didn't know I was dyslexic and, and I could answer questions, I could do things and actually I've got higher than average intelligence because um, when they tested the dyslexia, they test your intelligence as well. Yeah. But I didn't know until I was 45, so I was always struggling. So but... you're struggling with communicating as in written word, yeah. reading word, yeah. etc. Yeah. yeah. So I remember the one story you telling me was about the looking out of your bedroom window, seeing the shiny IBM building in the distance, and you saying, I want to work there. Yes, that's right. finished school, walked in there, and you worked there. I did. So tell me the story about when you... Yeah, you obviously... It wasn't my first job. I took a job no. as a junior, um, yeah. but whilst I was there, um, I used to walk past this building, and it's the first time I'd seen smoke glass building, Very actually. Posh. So I, I just thought, I've got to, got to work there. I see these people come out, you know, and they all had good clothes on and everything. Posh. Posh. Well turned out. Yeah, and so... Um, you thought, I can do that. I did, and I, and I wrote to them, and I got an interview, and I did the test, and there were three tests. There was an English and maths and a logic test. And I failed the maths and the English, and I got 100% for logic. And they said, which I can't say in this day and age, they said, never seen any woman get 100% for logic before. And I think they meant in that branch rather yeah. than in the whole of IBM. And um, they took me on. So on the strength of that, they took you on. Mm. Yeah. So when you, how old were you when you went to IBM then? 18. 18. So when you get to IBM, mm. what do you think you're going to be doing? Have you any idea or you just think... Oh, well, it was the called, building. that building was the training department for the UK. So I didn't really apply for a job. I just when applied get to there. get into IBM. And then I started and I worked for this guy called Gordon Larkham, who'd come from the National Geophysical Laboratory. And he was completely eccentric. And nobody could work with him, so I was the new girl. They gave me to him. And I loved him. I just adored him. So what were you doing for him? Anything he said. So sort of Run PA... upstairs, do this, do that. So you're trailing round in his wake following... Yeah, but then he realised I was OK. Yeah, and the people who were working for him were programmers who'd got at least one degree. They were technical programmers. So they might have one degree or two degrees, you know, doing all this stuff. stuff. Yeah. But this was my first break. He had a nervous breakdown, Gordon. Lucky for you. I'm Indeed. Okay, um, good, yeah. The boss called me in, and it just shows you how different I am now to how I was then. He called me in. I'd been running the department because he'd been away for months. And he said, we'd like you to take his job. Well, I just couldn't believe it. I, like I said, I'd left school at 15. I was envious of all these qualifications, these... Deemed no good for the 11 yeah, plus. Yeah, yeah. And I just didn't feel I could do it, even though what? I'd been doing it. So I got married to run away. I, you know, I met this guy and... So he also worked for IBM, but not, not, in, not in the same division as okay, me. OK, so when Gordon's having his breakdown and you're running away and getting married, how old are you then? I'm just 21. I was 21 in the March and I got married in the April. And so you're, you, meet, you met this guy at IBM? No, I met him in the sea in Spain. <laughs> OK, yeah. Yes, uh, so you met a guy on holiday. Yeah. Where does he live? Was he local or did... As well, in... he was working in St John's Wood. He, he's uh, Irish, I suppose he's Irish, really. I got married to go away. We both got jobs in Zambia with Anglo-American mines. Then. Yeah. With yeah. who, sorry? Anglo-American oh, okay. Mines. Yeah. 
I was taken on as a programmer as well because I'd gone through. Okay, so I'd learnt about operation. I'd worked as an operator as well, computer operator. So you were learning programming at IBM yeah, as well I as learned, doing. Okay. Yeah, yeah, they they put you on. Yeah. So what's Alan doing then? Is he coding as well? No, he's he's doing. He's digging holes for Anglo. <laughs> I think he was still an operator, computer operator. So he was run. He'd run the team. Yeah. So it's still computer stuff, yes, but yeah. within a big company. Yeah. And then when we got there, they wanted to put us on separate shifts and that didn't make any sense, so I dropped out. And I got a job on a newspaper. Um, I don't know how I got the job on the newspaper, but it's quite a small community And a there. newspaper in Zambia? Yeah, the Zambian so... Times. And I got the job I, I, just because the guy liked me, because I couldn't do shorthand. Okay, well, actually, that's not true. I could do speed writing. Yeah. I'd, I'd, I'd learnt speed writing and I could type. So he just said, oh, you know, you can join us. And the girl who was leaving, she was there and she was taking loads of notes in shorthand. And then the editor who I was speaking to would change his mind. And I was taking my notes and I'd only just caught up with him. So it was perfect. Absolutely yeah. perfect. It, my skill level yeah. suited his, yeah. where she was really frustrated. She'd worked for him for quite a few years. She said she couldn't do it anymore. There was a, a blind receptionist who I used to try and fool every day. I'd walk a different way. You know, <laughs> I'd put my feet heavily or I'd tiptoe in. And uh, he always knew who it was, morning man. You know, it was, it was quite, quite good fun. He had... 13 children and he was blind. It was just okay. unbelievable. So it was good fun. And he sent me out to do recordings like Treetops Opened, which was a game reserve. Yeah. And I'd met Mary Quant here. So he asked me to do some, you know, get some pictures and write that. And then he asked me if I'd be Auntie Nan. So it was half a page, which was the children's page. And I was quite happy doing that. I just have to... Um, so you like shut up and go to bed, things like that. Yeah, yeah. And, and there was a painting competition every week and the same three kids would enter every week. So, so if ever there was a new entrant, you, yeah, you gave you them, them the prize, you know, and that sort of thing. But, so, so is it quite a small the readership? It was the whole of Zambia. So, no, it wasn't local, it was Zambian Times. And they modelled themselves on the Times here. Yeah. And the calendar for the year I was there, they took photographs and they had a table with China cups and saucers on it. And me, I was the only uh, white person there. Um, I had to pour the tea into this cup and it just overflowed. And the photographer was just taking pictures. And I was moving further and further away from the table because I didn't want to get my dress covered in tea and you know they're all guys I mean they were just laughing so the picture for the calendar I look quite stern and they're all laughing which obviously suited them because that's what they use you know some interesting memories so how long did you spend there well um I had a car accident and um they sent me to Rhodesia which is now Zimbabwe yeah. of course um to see the consultant and he said we ca we can't do this here you need to go back to the uk so what had happened to you um i'd, I'd hurt my legs but my face had got all stuff in it and you stuff know in, what do you mean glass glass tumor, bits, bits of, of springs um and they'd stitched it badly so how did how did you have a crash just cargo <laughs> yeah. smashed into someone who didn't like me no um i was in a datsun car um 
which I learned so much about cars then because there weren't sort of garages as we know them in the UK. So the fuse box was always going, so I used to always carry a roll of silver foil yeah. instead of the fuse box. And also I carried some tights for the fan, fan belt, belt yeah. which went at more or less daily. So I'd got quite used to the car, but I'd never driven in a forest, what we would call jungle, I suppose. And I was following another car and just behind, so there's all trees, single track. I'm following this Jeep and it's all dry. So I'm getting all sand. I, I'm trying to stay back, you know, but you still get sand and everything, dry soil. And two guys jumped out in front of me from behind a tree, had no idea, you know, natives that, I find it really difficult to stop, but I, I just naturally put my foot on the brake and we took off. I mean, we were in the air, I had someone with me. We were in the air and we hit a tree. Ooh. And I thought I was dead. And it is true that your whole life goes before you in that second. I experienced that. So I just, I was quite calm. I thought I'm going to die. But I was sort of okay. But the car was up against the tree. The Jeep saw it, so they backed up because they couldn't turn around. So now, not only was, we're now covered in a hell of a lot of dust, you know. So the two guys have run away because the guys in the Jeep were calling them yeah. so that they could move my car so they could take me and the other guy to hospital, which took a bit of time. Basically. So you were unlucky and lucky. Oh, very face. lucky because <laughs> when I got to hospital, I mean, the chances of this are, are, are really remote. There was a guy from London who just arrived, some consultant or other, and he saw me and he said, We don't want to stitch her because, you know, we want, want her to heal. It's her face and blah, blah. Mm -hmm. So they only stitched me in the chin and they put penicillin powder over me. And I was in hospital and uh, my face swelled up. I mean, my knees really hurt, not my face. I kept saying, oh, my legs must be broken, my legs must be broken. They, but they weren't. It's just they hit the steering mm -hmm. wheel, you know. But my, uh, my face swelled up so, and my eyes closed. So I thought I was blind. So yeah. being misdramatic... <laughs> I'm blind. I, I thought, I'm blind. I'm lying in the hospital bed and I've got a glass of water and I thought, OK, I've, I know that you commit suicide by slashing your wrists. I'll break the glass at night and slash my wrists. Drastic reaction. Well, it was a very unhappy marriage. I'd married an alcoholic, so, oh, you know, okay. I'd repeated my family... You know, my father was as well, yeah. So I'm thinking this, I've, but I don't know what the time is because I can't see, right? I'm so going to kill myself, I must I... know the time. So I'm thinking, is it when I want to go to sleep? Is it? And all this sort of stuff, and I'm listening to all these conversations. Anyway, this doctor from London comes by, because I'm fairly new to Zambia and everything, for a chat, and he realises that I'm really depressed and yeah. I don't believe them that I can see and he said well will you give me 24 hours and I said how do I know it's going to be 24 <laughs> hours you know I can't see. and I, he said trust me I said all right then okay okay I'll wait 24 hours he said what I'm going to do is I'm going to give you some tablets that will take the swelling down the problem is your skin will just fall off because it's such strong Splendid, yeah. yeah and he did that and I could see and here I am so, so you get some treatment. So you come back from the UK to the UK for more treatment. So I come back to have effectively plastic surgery. And but what what I did, I saw it. I mean, this is a few months after it all happened. It wasn't straight away. I saw it as a way to get out the marriage. Yeah. Okay, so you. So is that when you left Zambia? Yeah. And, let, and yeah. Alan stayed in Zambia. Okay. Well, it's interesting 
there's a bit happened after that. He was a bit of a boozer. I mean, once I found... On Christmas Day, he was in the ditch. We'd got people coming for Christmas lunch. You know I cook a lot on a buck. And he didn't come home on Christmas Eve. So I'm out looking for him, and he was in a ditch, completely drunk, and I had to go and get my neighbour to come with me to pick him up and bring him home. It was terrible. It was an awful life. So we had Christmas lunch with him lounging, you know, hardly compass mentors. And um, the next thing, he, he smashed... Well, not smashed up, being an exaggeration, he punched his boss when he was drunk, so he got fired. <laughs> okay. So, we, so we, we had to get out the country. OK, so once his job's gone, your yeah. yours is gone yeah. too. So he's yeah. collapsing everything with yeah. one punch. Yeah. So I come back mm. on my own and... Um, I, I live... I don't want to tell my friends or anything what's happened. I, I feel so ashamed, you know. I, this, this it's finished and it's been yeah, bad. Yeah, yeah. But also, um, I still had trouble walking a lot, you know, um, and I was going to physiotherapy twice a week. And so I took a job with the Marriage Guidance Council, which is now called Re- Relate. OK, you're back in... Where are you living? Where's your, where's your apartment? It's in Barnet. And then Alan obviously has to come back um, because he hasn't got a job. And he says, shall we try it again? You know, maybe it's because we're in Zambia and all that. So we get apartment together. It was no different, really. Still drinking. Yeah, still drinking, still uh, violent. So I left again. (laughs) Seems to be the story of my life. So when you're post-Alan, you're post... Newspapers and post IBM. So, what do you think you want to do, or do you, what do you think you'll? Well, I went into an employment agency, um, Read Employment, yeah. and they interviewed me and said, "Would you like to be an interviewer?" And I said, "Well, yeah, all right then. What is that sort of thing, you know?" And that's what happened next. So, wherever you go, you seem to meet people. Say, "Do you want a job?" Yeah, that's always happening to yeah. me. It's just happened now. It's something else. Yeah. So, I went to Read Employment. And I worked my way up to branch manager, area manager, all that sort of thing. And then I got headhunted to go to South Africa by another company who wanted to set up recruitment for Lloyd's and welders. They weld pipes, basically. Well, the guy that took me on was a guy called Dick Summerfelt. If people do research, you'll find out he's quite significant in that time as well. And he took me to the Playboy Club and gave me... Loads of money. Well, to me, it was a load of yeah. money, cash, to play the tables. And he said, "If you win, I'll take you on. If you don't, that's it." I mean, I just couldn't believe it. You so know. this is your job interview. Yeah, and I was so nervous. I didn't play for ages, and in the end, he just said, "Put it all on the one Chuck thing." On. And I just, honestly, I was halfway to the ladies. You know, I thought, yeah. and it, yeah. of course, it it made some money, and that was it. So I went out to South Africa, set up this company. To, to take Lloyd's welders from the UK to South Africa. And it was great. I was so flying around and everything. So you're recruiting welders? Well, I set up three agencies to do that. To do that I, yeah. I didn't really recruit yeah. the guys. I set it up. Yeah. And, you know, yeah. They then wanted to take me to Canada. They said, we want you to come to Canada. Do you know anybody in Canada who would look after you if you weren't OK, basically? Because we can put the salary down and say that you're the only one with this skill, you know, like recruiting. Yeah. Oh, OK. So well, well yeah. just so We can there. do the job, but you have yeah. to have a yeah. person that would yeah. look after yeah. you. I don't... Look after is probably not the right word, but anyway. No, they don't. Yeah, I know what you're saying. Do you, do you know what I mean? Yeah. So I wrote to my sister 
and said, would they do that? She's now got two children. Her husband is either a director or just under director of a bank. And they said no. (laughs) So that's the ceiling with me not communicating with my sister. That was really it. Um, I just couldn't believe it because, you know, I'd survived all this time on my own. Yeah. What was she worried about, you yeah. know? So anyway, that, that, that shook me a bit. So I didn't go to Canada, but the day I found out that my sister wasn't going to do that, I caught chicken pox. And I'd be, I had a boyfriend in London and I was going to go back to his for Christmas and then go to Canada. That was the plan. But now I couldn't even get on a plane, let alone I wouldn't be going to Canada, so I wouldn't have a job, you know. Um, So they paid me because I couldn't get into Canada. And I think I got three months' salary or something. And I phoned Andrew, you know, because I was phoning all the time, and said, I've got chicken pops. And it was about four days before Christmas. And he said, oh, I'll come over. You know, I've had chicken pox, it won't matter. So he came over and we travelled around, a bit like Joseph and Mary, really, for Christmas. (laughs) And we um, went into people's houses. Obviously, again, this was only white people's houses. It was in South Africa. And we'd paint them or fix the gate or something like that whilst they were away, you know, and keep them safe. And we did that for a little while, yeah. yeah. So then did you actively look for something else after something come and actively find you? We got in trouble with the authorities um, because I was taking pictures in black compounds and I was white and obviously you're not allowed, well, you weren't allowed in the black areas then. And he was a journalist, so he was writing everything down, very bright guy. And we got caught in a black... This is your boyfriend. yeah, Yeah, and we got caught in a black compound and the black police couldn't even take us away because we were white. So they actually sent him out the country and let me go. And that was because male-female thing, it was nothing to do. I had all the pictures, not Andrew. But anyway, so he got chucked out, came back to England. I didn't know what I was going to do, really. And I'd got a few spots over my body, you know, flaking off. So I, I got a job working for a dentist. I tried to think how I got this In job. In South Africa? Yeah. I took a job just as a dental nurse. I'm not fighting to blood or anything like that, you know. So I love pulling teeth. So, um, and his name was Higgins, so I called him Prof. The trouble was, he was only at that surgery two days a week, and I was supposed to sit there on my own with a goldfish for three days, and I hated it. It was just awful, you know. So I couldn't stand that. And so I took a job. Well, I went for a job in a store, in a store called Stutterford's, which um, modelled itself on Harrods. And I read my horoscope that morning and it said, four's your lucky number. You know, I just read it like, you know. So I went for this interview and the girl I was supposed to be interviewed by was off sick. It transpired later, I found out that she was pregnant and this was the first morning that she had morning sickness. Yeah. So the director of the store interviewed me in this great big plush office and I was just going for a sales assistant while I yeah. worked out how to get back to the UK and find a job in the UK. Anyway, I went into his office and it was enormous and it had a dice. Do you know those holders of dice and a pen in it that yeah. were very yeah. familiar in the 70s? So there it was, and the number four was staring at me, and I just thought, 
<laughs> well, you know, maybe there is something yeah. in this, yeah. So this guy interviews me and he said, we we're actually looking for a training manager. You seem to, have, you know, you've managed people and developed people and all that. Would you like to be the training manager of the store? And I went, I'm coming for a temporary job. You know, I'm going back to England. And he said, well, would you do it as an interim measure? And I went, yeah, all right. And that was it. So the window dressing guy, who was fantastic, he, him and his, the guy that worked with him, really camp and I adored them. And they did all the training room for me. I got them all to decorate it and everything. So everybody thought I was brilliant. Then I spoke to, bear in mind, I can't really read, you know, at this stage. <clears throat> then I spoke to the guy who was the training manager at Woolworths, which is the equivalent of Marks and Spencers yeah. in South Africa and said, you know, I've got to create a training manager. I don't know what to do. And all the, all the trainee managers, they're all geology students because that's what people study in South Africa because of the mining. He said, oh, I better not tell you his name then. He said, you can have my manual for two weeks and then give it back to me. <laughs> and that's what I did. I just copied the manual and just, yeah. It just went on and on. Everybody thought it was wonderful. I, they used to call me the swan because I used to take these graduates around to look at other stores, the windows. Because as I've said before, I'm very visual and I wasn't, yeah. I wasn't yeah. really into admin and stuff yeah, like that. Yeah. So these guys were loving it. You know, they were getting paid as trainee managers. I was loving it because I was out in the open looking at stores just, yeah. you know. And they were sucking it in. Yeah, and everybody thought it was wonderful, so it was great. So, and then, um, oh, I know, I got a job with um, SOS, the, the recruitment company, when I came back. Yeah, what happened, I flew, this, this is interesting, I flew back and on the plane was... I think it was a telegraph and job adverts, and there was one for a general manager of a fire engine factory, Dennis Fire Engines, all right? So I think I can do that, don't I? I have no experience Dentist, Dennis, yeah, (laughs) Yeah. sounds the same, yeah. And so um, I I phoned them up, and they put me through a load of aptitude tests, and I saw it, and they left me in a room with my aptitude test. And I saw that I didn't pay attention to detail, and all these things that I think are not okay, right? And so when the guy comes in to interview me, who's the general manager, he goes, um, I went, just a minute, this, I see this is my profile and I, I did this whole spiel about it's not right, you know, I don't trust it. And he went, he let me talk, I don't know for how long, five minutes maybe. Yeah. And then, you know what I'm going to say, he says, well, that's such a shame because this was the first perfect profile we'd seen. <laughs> <laughs> So anyway, they also owned SOS, this company, you know, that I ended up working for, the recruitment company. So I worked for them. So you didn't go to the Dennis Fire Engine place? No, but they owned Dennis at the time. So back into recruitment, but straight in as a general manager of the northwest and seven branches up in Manchester and Liverpool and Bolton. And I I thought I've been to all these countries because I hit, I forgot to say I hitched around a bit in Africa for a while, you know, to going to places like Ethiopia. um, Well, quite a few countries actually I bummed around. And um, so I thought I've never been to Manchester. That's mental. (laughs) I'm going to go up there. You've been north of Harrow. Well, I've been to the Lake District okay, to yeah. see my granddad, but I hadn't really stopped in Manchester. And um, they put me in a hotel, the Willowbank Hotel in in Didsbury, and I stayed there. And I'm, you know, managed built, it yeah, me. managed it and did was doing very well. 
And then I went on holiday. I reported directly to the director and they said I would become a director if I ate all the carrots. Yeah. And as far as I was concerned, I had eaten all the carrots. You know, we'd exceeded the targets. You know, I developed two managers and I'd opened a new branch. I'd done everything they asked and me they to do. No. And I went on holiday for uh, two weeks and I came back and they'd changed, they'd fired a manager and put one of my other guys in as manager and I resigned because how could I be responsible for the targets if they were screwing around with my staff? Anyway, I had an expense account of £3,000, which is a lot of money in those days, and they bounced it. They didn't pay it, so I took them to court for sexual discrimination. And one of my staff members was an ex-policeman from Homicide and he left when this new manager came in, so we went collectively took the case. Okay. And I wouldn't be telling you this story, would I, unless yeah. we'd won. Yeah, so, so you did win, yeah. Yeah. So you come back from Manchester, you, you looking for another recruitment job, or are you just looking for another job? No, no, job? no, no, because... No, I don't. What happened, part of my job was to do public speaking yeah. to local companies, um, big companies, small companies, anybody, really, to tell them why they should use the recruitment company. Okay. And during that time, I used to get offered jobs. So this you know, is when your come speaking starts. Yeah, yeah come and work with us, you know, we could yeah. do things like that. So um, one of those companies was Xerox. So um, it was the first company I, I phoned, and so yeah. I went to Xerox, basically. Yeah. And they knew about the court case as well, so it was quite easy. I didn't yeah. have to explain, explain that. Yeah. So you go to Xerox, so were they down in London? Or no, what? I joined them in uh, Manchester. Um, I managed to negotiate a second-grade salesperson, which I didn't know at the time was really unusual, coming in at that level. And I whizzed my way through sales and everything up there. Now going out with a different guy down in London. So um, I, I, I stay up there, I get promoted to what was called a high-volume sales executive. So you go in... You, it was, I was selling a machine, basically, that was a million pounds and weighed a tonne. Yeah. So you had to learn a bit about floor loading, but also you were only seeing people who'd got real money, knew what they were doing. You got all the leads from the salesmen, so that was quite cool. Then there was a training manager's job down in London. You know, I just said I did the training job at the store. So I applied for that, came to London, lived with a guy in London. Um, lived with him, you know. So have you, got, have you bought any property by now? Have you not? No. So you're still... Because oh. you're scooting about all over the shop. No, no, actually, that, that's not true. I bought a little house in Manchester when I was at Xerox. Okay. That was my first property. And I camped in. It had frosted window in the hall. And I didn't realise I had all sorts of things, like what was the rates, and yeah. I didn't factor that in because I'd yeah. never sort of bought a yeah. place before and the tax of buying a house I didn't yeah. know so I was completely wiped out so the lady opposite lent me her camping stove so I camped in yeah. and I slept in the hall yeah. and that's why I get quite cross with kids now because they wouldn't do that oh, no, you know? no I can't afford to let you you know so I took a, as well as working for Xerox I took a job as a DJ that Fridays which is I can show you the pictures of that Quite illuminating. Carol the DJ. I'm, I'm not a good DJ, let me yeah. tell you. But I can wear the gear. So, um, so you were spinning the records. Yeah, but I hated it. I mean, I... And you did it for the money then, or? Yeah, but here's the thing. I used to spray my hair pink and everything. And one Friday... Fr I used to work just Fridays there. And I did the markets on, on a Tuesday in Bury 
with my Xerox car. I, I'm always looking out to see if there's anyone from Xerox in the club, obviously, because first of all, you're not allowed to have, or you weren't allowed to have another job. Second job, yeah. Secondly, I'm in a slashed punk <laughs> outfit with pink hair, you know, not a bit like your suits and that yeah. during the day. So I never saw anyone. And this Monday, I went into work and Xerox, as a copying, used to be a copying company, it's now a document company. And the whole of the first floor, where 52 salespeople were and only four girls, so were covered in posters of me in this outfit, you know, because it cost <laughs> tuppence to blow something up. They've blown it up and copied it. All so. over the bloody walls and all the posters. But they did know what you were up to. Uh, so, yeah, so someone, it, you know, you. yeah. So that obviously got called into my boss's office. He was okay, it wasn't, it wasn't nasty mm -hmm. or anything. He said, you can't do this, you know, you're... Because you're, at the time I had government accounts, uh, what was called GEM, government education and medical. So I was going to hospitals, yeah. local authorities and everything. Yeah. <laughs> now, in your pink punk yeah. outfit. But I'm in pulling my hair bits out and uh, yeah. washing my hair. So then I came to London um, to be... Um, did I say Andrew? It was David that I came to London to be. Because yeah. Andrew was the guy... In, Andrew, South Africa, yeah. Yeah, so this is David down here. And I, I would have been Mrs Robinson, because his name was David Robinson, and I was slightly older than him, I think by a year or something. So did you sell your house in Manchester? Or just... Um, not yet. Yeah. But then what happened, we, when we broke up, we had looked at this house. Well, I was living with him in his house. This house here. We'd looked at this house that we're sitting in right yeah. now. And it had no gas and electric, and we were going to do it up, you know, sort of dreamers, really, travel around in a caravan, go around the world and all that, and rent this house out and rent his house out. So I knew it was available. Um, when we split up, I just phoned his estate agent and said, it's still available. I knew, and he said, yes, how are you going to pay for it, basically? Your business. And I went, OK, that's a good yeah, question. Yeah. <laughs> so I sold the house in Manchester, made an offer on this, and it all worked out. So how long have you been here now in this house? I've had the house for nearly 30 years, okay. but I haven't always lived here because I've lived You've abroad again. Yeah, I've owned years. it for 30 years. Yeah. yeah. And now you're self-employed. It's full circle, really. I realised you could earn money from the body language, so... Yeah. I started doing that and yeah. also selling sales consultancy and things like that. I'm number 16 in the world, actually. Um, globalgurus.org, reckon I'm number 16 under the FBI guys. If you take the FBI guys out, I'd probably be about yeah. five, I think. So you get employed now by people to come in and assess body language and what people are up to or thinking or wanting to do or... That's part of it. One of the things... I'm working mainly for businesses. So like a stockbroker I work for, they ask me to look at CEOs when they do their end of term delivery of figures of the previous year and the projections for the next year. Because what they do, they fill the auditorium with stockbrokers and the press. Yeah. And obviously the stockbrokers are going to advise their clients. And what they're looking for is lack of commitment. Notice I don't say lying. Lack yeah. of commitment from Lying these guys. are outed. Yeah, on certain points, they might say, oh, we're going to build, I don't know, 10,000 houses in... Yeah. We're going to get 45 million people to come on holiday in your country if you left. Yeah, yeah, all that sort of stuff. But I can tell when, when they're not committed yeah. or it's not, yeah. not actually happening. They already run voice recognition against those guys, so yeah. I'm competing with a computer, actually, which yeah. is quite interesting. Um, but, of course, now... 
and this is what I'm writing the book about, is with AI and the robots, the robots are all programmed and they've got all my knowledge and all the knowledge of everybody else programmed into them. So they can tell when you're lying or when we're lying, but we can't tell when they're lying. So you're still doing, I'd say, manually looking and watching, but are you also working towards helping AI manually look and watch, or are you still...? No, I did do some work when I was in Hong Kong. That's what I was doing, working with a company over there. Yeah. And that was really interesting because I turned up... and First of all, I was the only one of two girls, which is not unusual, but I was the only one not wearing black. They all had black chinos and black T-shirts, and I arrived in a green dress. So I was, again, outside the normal parameters, you know. It's quite interesting, really. But, no, I'm, I'd love to be involved, but it's way, way ahead of me now. I, no, I you know, I did stuff with game. Manchester Police what, about 20 years ago, and they're way ahead of me now, and they've got systems in place yeah. and everything. Yeah. But when I was there, I was really shocked how far behind they were, you know. Well, on that note... I think yeah. you've got enough. I know, that was brilliant. Yeah, yeah. that's good. Yeah. <laughs> Very good, yeah. It's all work, though, wasn't it? It wasn't about... Well, no, know, but then like life a... is a... But you didn't get the going to Indonesia and studying gamelan music and stuff like that. We'll have to fiddle it in another time. Or that I've been to 100 countries and worked in 47. Yeah. Well, you can put that in because it was in there. Put that in. And you do hypnotism? Yeah, I do. Yeah. Yeah. But there's, I mean, it's impossible, isn't it, to record someone's yeah, whole life? Yeah, uh, absolutely, you know? absolutely, yeah. Just to get a general feel for yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. And, I mean, you know, I've been very lucky, I think, considering my life as it started, which was pretty appalling. Yeah. You know. You've done very well. Yeah, yeah.